Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the podcast. Today, I am so excited to have my friend Michelle on and we are going to have her do a quick introduction. Hello, my name is Michelle Nelson. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and I am certified in perinatal mental health. Um, I'm a mom of two, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old and I own a private practice. I serve mostly moms um, who are navigating pregnancy, postpartum, and just kind of juggling life with toddlers. So I started my practice in January. Awesome. What were you doing before that? Um, I worked in children's mental health for a long time. So I worked for the county and I was actually supervising for a couple of years. Um, So working in more of an admin role. Um, And last year at one point, I just was feeling a little burnout and my husband and I kind of had a conversation that we needed a little more balance, work-life balance. And I wanted to kind of shift gears and switch my clinical focus. And so here we are. I love that. So tell me what was the, what was the deciding factor in working with moms? And pregnant women and postpartum. Yeah. So, I mean, having worked in children's mental health for a long time, I did some zero to five work. um, And, you know, I would get a lot of parents that would bring in their toddlers and, you know, for behaviors and stuff. And a lot of them thought bringing them to therapy, we'd spend an hour with them and that would be it. And (laughs) parents actually have to be very involved for us to see change working with littles. And so a lot of my work was with the parents. And I would find myself feeling really connected to their stories Mm. and what was going on for them. And just this realization that if a parent is struggling with, you know, handling their own stressors, then it's really difficult to be present for their own kids, right? So that kind of started my early passion for that kind of attachment and how much the, the parent really needs to be supported in that way. I love and then, that. Yeah. And I, I love that you recognize that. It's huge. I yeah. Mean, it's like we can't place blame on the children. Yes. No. You know? And I think, I think every parent, I like to believe that every parent when they are capable wants to be the best parent that they of can course. be. Right? Like that's, yes. that's the baseline. And that if yeah. they're not sort of acting in the way that they want to be, it's likely because they're struggling with their own stressors. Yeah. It's kind of ability to regulate. And we have no idea when we have kids, like what we're oh. supposed to be doing. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of, you that's know, how, then I had my own kids, right? <laughs> so in 2019, I became a mom. Right. And, and you're my, a girl mama like uh, me. I am a girl mama. <laughs> and mind you, I was a licensed therapist at the time. And yeah. even postpartum mental health all felt pretty wild. I mean, really you can agree. No one really is can prepared, quote unquote, is what everyone no. says, to be, become a mom. Nope. Um, but yeah, the, the adjustment rocked me. It was, yeah. I, you know, I share that I struggled with postpartum anxiety for sure. Yeah. Um, especially on my feeding journey. That was really big for me. And like so, breastfeeding and stuff. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. Um, got through all of that right. and had my second and then, you know, kind of fast forward to last year um, around the time that I made the decision to start a private practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes a lot of sense when you have a private practice to kind of find a niche. Yeah. Um, and as I was kind of thinking about what do I want my business to look like, it was immediate. I was like, I want to work with moms. Like I this love is that. this is my season of life that is such a huge part of who I am. Yeah. And um and I just I re- like having so many friends having babies, like it just right. can be so isolating. And so the oh, idea of yes. creating like a really intentional space for yeah. moms to get that support, I was, that I was love my inspiration. That. We have a similarity there because I'm not a licensed therapist, but when I had Addie and I was struggling, I created my own like mom tribe. Yeah. I and it just felt right. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt right. It just felt like mm-hmm. I was struggling by myself and I just assumed everybody else has to be struggling, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had kids a little earlier than a, than a lot of my friends. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, oh, I have to kind of find like other friends. I have to expand my friend circle and get some mom friends. I think that's some of my best advice too when you have a baby is you do need support. Huge. You have Huge. to have support and have friends. And I love, so 
I send a questionnaire to all my clients and the first question is, what are you most, most passionate in life? And I love that you said you're most passionate about fostering connection and support. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah. And I kind of was thinking about that because I don't know, it's not every day you answer that question, right? And I was right. thinking like, I mean, I know I'm, I'm passionate about the things that I do, but right to yeah. really nail down an answer. So I love that question. Um, and I was thinking like, I feel like, like passion, support and, and community, that's what I both want for myself and what I want mm. to help give others. Yes. And so thinking about... Yeah, I think being able to give that to clients and, yeah. and my family and my kids and my friends and right. also to be able to kind of access that myself because yeah. it's just, I mean, like you said, when I have my pregnant clients or even pregnant friends, mm-hmm. one of the number one things that I recommend to do to help protect your mental health in postpartum is to find like your group, right? Your yes. peer support, people mm-hmm. who are, like, I remember one of my best friends had a baby, we both had our first two weeks apart. Oh, and cool. to have her, and she doesn't live close, unfortunately, but even right. to just be able to call her, text yeah. her, like know that without words, she kind of just could know yes. to some degree, right? Yes. Relate to what I was going through. Yeah. Um, and so if you can find a group like that where mm-hmm. you have even a structured group is ideal, right? I know you've you've talked about your experience with I think like a walking group. Yeah, I love like, right? They still have it going. Yes, they do. They do. It's so cool. It's, amazing. it's beautiful. I love seeing it. Yes, and you things need that. like that are huge because otherwise yeah. I think what happens it's such a it's such a huge, it's like so many adjustments at one time. It sounds like one adjustment having a baby, but I mean, the amount of things that you're actually God. adjusting to. And it's not just the first baby, it's every baby. It's every baby, yeah. yes. And so, I mean, you you just, it, what can happen, I think, is so many moms are like, this is just what it's supposed to feel like. I'm just mm. supposed to struggle, right? And so then they kind of stay, because it's so overwhelming. I've been in that words. headspace, yeah. Yes. We're, me and Bobby are both like, okay, the next two years are chalked. Like, yes. yeah. we're done, Yeah. this is it, we're not sleeping, we're going to be fat and lazy and like barely making it through life, and we just accept it yeah but that's two years of my life that's six years total of my life right because I have three daughters like what and I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your postpartum journeys but there can be times where things feel so overwhelming that you almost feel frozen like you're like I just don't even know how to do anything about it yes and so to even give yourself like that one like there's so many things you can do right but like to have that community and just be able to have a conversation with someone else who gets it you then feel less isolated it gives you permission to have those conversations about what feels hard and so yeah it's Totally I think huge. Yes. And I think what's hard for me personally, and I hear this from other women, it depends on the type of woman you are and the goals you have, right? Mm-hmm. There's women who all they ever wanted to do is be a mother and they wanted to be a homemaker and they're good at it and they're creative and they sit down and do arts and crafts with their kids. And like, that's what they're good at. I tried to force myself to be that, but that's mm-hmm. not who I am. Mm-hmm. So for me as a very goal driven and wanting to have a career and doing all these these things I just feel like my struggle with babies is so much harder Mm -hmm. because I I don't value it maybe the same way some moms do it's a beautiful thing for me but it really is like like a marathon like okay it's kind of a long enduring travel that I just want to get over with yeah and that's mean and so sometimes I beat myself up about yeah, that because critical your, your critical you know, self-talk which let me tell you if there's one thing I work on with almost every single client it's that my mom clients it's <laughs> what your inner critic is saying to you but I think right. what you're talking about is there's such a huge identity shift and yes. what you go into right with your your set of expectations for yourself kind Ugh. of gets compounded with expectations from society from your family from Instagram like mm-hmm. right all these different things and so to figure out where you fit in that and to be comfortable with yes. that is it can be really difficult. Does it make sense that like, cause right now, you know, Bella's four months old. Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable in my own skin right now. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like the Cassie I want to show up as anymore. Mm-hmm. And well, think I about, think about all the things that you have to put second, 
right? That maybe right. that in a different, either pre-kids or pre-having another baby, right. it was easier to prioritize your needs, yes. right? Like that's yeah. something we talk about so much in my work with my clients is yeah. how do you integrate your needs while you're also constantly putting the needs of a tiny human right. before yours, right? Because right. my yeah. life did look different. My kids were older. My, my girls are very independent. So it was like, hey, get out of my room. I want to hang out with your dad for a minute. Like bounce, get out, yeah. you know, or hey, I want to take a shower for 30 minutes. Yes. Like get out, you yes. know, and now it's like a shower. I, that's rare. I wait for uh-huh. Bobby to get home and then I hope I, and then it's like 830. I'm like, I haven't showered today, but I'm too tired. So I'm just going to lay down and something as simple as that. But that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not drinking huge enough deal. water. I'm not eating healthy because I wait till, you know, one o'clock and then I'm shoving food in my mouth and you're mm-hmm. just like starving. And there's all these things that all moms are struggling with. Yep. doesn't matter if you're a working mom or you're a stay-at-home mom. I feel like there's a common theme of us putting our needs on the back burner, which is necessary to some extent, but how do you, how do you juggle it all? It's so challenging. Yeah. And then moms are working and the husband's working and, and then we're going on social media and we're seeing how other people are portraying their lives to be. It looks perfect. I get really jealous when I see moms with their babies and like the relationship I see. And I'm like, do I, do I have that relationship? Mm -hmm. Is that, am I showing up that way for my kids? Do my kids feel like, I'm showing up in a way that makes them feel good. And am I doing enough? You know, that's just, and you're just constantly asking yourself that question. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter because I've been both. I've been a full-time working mom and I've been a stay-at-home mom. They're both hard. They're both hard. And I'm always feeling like I'm never Mm -hmm. living up Mm -hmm. to the expectation. Yeah. I don't know if it's. You're behind. I'm always behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll look at different seasons and be like, oh my God, when Mia was five, I was doing this. I probably wasn't giving her enough attention. And maybe that's why she's upset now. And you know, it's like all these things that you're asking yourself all the time. So what is your thoughts on finding some sort of balance when you have a baby specifically with a baby? Yeah. I mean, I think this is, that is the question that all of us ask ourselves. I guess it's individualized because we all have different lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of what is so like tricky about any adjustment that you go through, right? Think about any change that you go through. It requires this kind of constant trial and error, um, kind of evaluating what you need, what's working, what's not working, um, communicating that to the people in your life. And so, right, like all of that, think about how much of that has to happen when you have a baby. Because especially when you have older kids, right? That's a great example. Everybody is having to shift. Every every stage, babies do nothing but change for, you know, right? Right. Every month you have something different to adjust to. And so I think it is this kind of constant process, right, of being able to check in with yourself and Mm. think about what expectations am I putting on myself, Right. right? What are my needs? How can I find room for them? And Two of the biggest things that I do with my clients are we mm-hmm. talk about mindfulness and self-compassion mm. because I think they are both superpowers if you can get the hang of it. Yeah. Um, what does mindfulness look like? So people get really confused between mindfulness and meditation and they okay. are related but not necessarily always the same thing. Um, so mindfulness, I like to explain it to clients like this. If you think of kind of like a, a spectrum, if when you're struggling with anxiety, um, you're worrying about the future. You're worrying about what ifs, what may happen, right? Worst case scenario. That's me, girl. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> and you are not alone, right? So then if you're, if you're feeling more like in the depressive area, you're mm. probably ruminating about the past. You're feeling stuck, resentful, right? It's, it's the past, kind of that looking back, usually not with a, a lens that feels good. Right. Um, mindfulness is coming into the present moment. It is, it is finding presence, um, 
kind of without judgment and with kindness. So mm. it's being able to use different tools and strategies to kind of bring yourself into the present moment. Um, and I think it's it's so confusing because I think people think, well, does that mean I have to ignore all these things I'm worried about or all these things that are hard? It doesn't mean you have to ignore them, but it means we can kind of accept what is in a different way so that we can proceed in a different way, mm. right? So um, I know I posted a podcast last week and I really loved one of the examples that they gave about like a, a mom in postpartum and it was like, I mean, the maternal mental load, the, the running to-do list you have in your head, right? right. Of all the things you're keeping track of. It's so hard to be present sometimes because you're constantly planning, making decisions, like feeling overwhelmed, yes. right? And then she, she gives the example of that happening and then all of a sudden kind of looking at her baby and really like, you know, paying attention to her features and looking into her eyes and just like snaps her into the present, right? And, and thinking, and she thinks, she's like, when was the last time that I did that? And that's, oh, that's, and that's mindfulness, right? Like, the, because what right. she did right there, it's saying that, yes, I see, it's being able to check in with yourself and notice that, that multiple things exist at once, that I right. both feel like I'm struggling and I'm anxious and I'm going to notice that, like, I have this thing in front of me I can kind of focus mm. on, even if for a moment. And so finding different ways to do that, to bring yourself into the moment, that's mindfulness. I, I know it's, it's powerful to think about right and meditation oh, it makes me teary-eyed yeah yeah and meditation is like practicing mindfulness really intentionally for kind of more extended periods of time right so that's that like sitting really being with yourself being right. with your body um which you don't have to turn your thoughts off that's not how it works right yeah. it's being able to notice like and not ju- non-judgment yeah yeah. yeah. I'll give you an example. I, I think I shared with you when I got here, I just got off of three days of solo parenting, like right. being away for work. Yeah. And we had 10 minutes in between him getting home and me coming over here. Yeah. I had the baby. I had to pass off, communicate, you know, where she was What's at. What's going on? Day. Yeah. And before <laughs> I left my house, I sat and did a five minute meditation in my driveway. And oh. I, cause I needed for me, it's super helpful to do it in transition points in my day to really right. like ground myself, be like, okay, I'm leaving my chaotic morning of drop offs and <laughs> breakfast and tantrums and right. all of that. And I'm going to come into this moment. And even if, you know, I do still struggle with those thoughts later on today, right now I'm going to be here and kind of pay attention to my body. So I hope that answered your question. But that answered it wonderfully. You made me teary-eyed. I'm emotional all the time. It's funny. What what I thought of is that Bobby and I took a minute to stop with Bella and we were both looking into her eyes. It's so funny Mm -hmm. you say that. Mm -hmm. And he goes, we were like, what color are her eyes? Because her eyes are changing all the time. And he's like, her eyes look like the color of the universe. And I don't know what... When he said that, yeah, it was just like, I'll never forget that moment. Like, it was so cute and sweet and beautiful, and and I just Mm -hmm. loved that. So it's funny you use that as an example because something I have practiced with Bella that I never did with my kids before is looking into her eyes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we sit in the front yard. We probably look crazy people driving by, but we sit in the front yard (laughs) in the grass, and I'll put a little blanket down, and, like, I'll put her little feet in the grass, and I'll hold her, and I'll look in her eyes, and I try to do that every single day. That's like amazing. my little my little time with her. You're basically meditating. You're, my, right. you're being mindful. And one of my yes. favorite things to talk to moms about, because um, what can feel tricky for moms are like, well, when do I have time to meditate? Like, when do <laughs> right. I have time to do all? I'm like, I get it, right? Like, you don't necessarily, but you can yeah. do, there's so many things that you can do throughout the course of your day. And my favorite one is exactly what you're describing. That's yeah. um, something that we do that we recommend with, like, if you if you struggle with feelings of panic or just mm. kind of intense surges of anxiety, it's called the five senses meditation. And so it's essentially... Any given moment, right, if you notice that you're feeling, you know, activated, feeling anxious, right? like, okay, I'm going to study my environment right now, right? Mm. So I'm going to take all of my five senses and I'm going to see what I'm kind of picking up. So what do I hear? Um, what do I see? 
what do I kind of feel under my body? If you're sitting, what do I feel on my skin, my clothes? Um, what am I forgetting? Taste and smell. So maybe you had coffee or something. And it's I love in your, that. And smell, right. So, but what I love it for moms is because maybe you're sitting on the floor with your kids and you suddenly kind of recognize that, oh, my mind is racing. Like I'm feeling I'm not here. You mm. can kind of take that moment and be like, okay, I'm going to look around me. And then you can both appreciate your child in front of you and like kind of even practice some gratitude in there and bring yourself into the moment. That's so a very so like beautiful. active way that you, so you do that. That's the sitting on the grass, yeah. right? You're bringing in the And that's so new for me. That's yeah. not something I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. But I know I went into this pregnancy and I, had, I shared with you that this was a totally unplanned pregnancy mm-hmm. and I was done having children. Mm-hmm. I was really very adamant on like, like we talked about like the fantasy of having more kids sounds really cool, yeah. but like I'm done. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard for me. And so that was already a challenge, but I committed to not allowing myself to go down the same path I did with Addie, which mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of control over postpartum depression and anxiety, but I see it through different lenses because I've experienced it and I've mm-hmm. overcame it. Mm-hmm. So I know what not to do. And I've been very determined with Bella to do it differently. I'm still struggling with the same kind of feelings I did with Addie, mm-hmm. but I am taking action, mm-hmm. even though I don't want to. Yeah. My body and mind don't feel like doing the things I'm doing, but I force myself to do them mm-hmm. because I know that it'll pay off in the end. And it, and it has a lot. Yeah. So I, I do love the mindfulness and I didn't even realize that we're probably practicing that in some small way every day, me and Bella. Yeah. 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 That's and one really of my cool. other favorite things to talk with clients about, cause I feel like it comes up so much in motherhood is like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like. I'm constantly experiencing conflicting emotions. Like, like oh, yeah. so many, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, so, so just reminding like, yourself, <laughs> like, two things can be true, right? Both that, like, I notice that I don't feel motivated to do this right now, that mm. I feel like I'd rather do something else or, like, that's not there. And right. I'm giving myself credit for the fact that I can hold space for that this is going to benefit us. Yes. This is going to feel good. Yes. And so being able to, like, two things can be true. Like, I say that to myself. All, all I just wrote weekend. it down in my yes. notes. I just put, so, both can be true. Two it's things. Like, oh, it's, really called, cool. it's called dialectical thinking. And it's being okay. able to hold space for two things at once. And um, it really helps with, like, balanced mood. Because, really? um, like, black and white thinking is an example of something that comes up for a lot of people I with anxiety and depression. Say, right? Yeah. So this is being able That's to think me. in the gray. It's being yes. able to, like... Because because they two things can be true. Right? So go into a little bit of black and white thinking. Yeah. So um, black and white thinking it tends to motivate a lot of shutting down because if you think about it in like a example of motherhood, right? Like maybe um, let's we have Halloween coming up. Talking about Halloween, right? Okay. Maybe it's I either have to do. I have to have all the handmade costumes for my kids. I got to decorate the house. I got to buy the pajamas. I got to do all the things. Um, or it's not going to be good and I just shouldn't do really anything at all. Right? Mm. Like it's, 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 and that's maybe a silly example, but no, that's kind a of wonderful all or nothing, example. Right? That's what that's, moms are yes. actually struggling so, with yes. right now on October 2nd. Yeah. yeah. So right. Like, all, so the, the kind of holding space for all of that and being able to practice, it's like, I notice that I would like right. to do all of this and I recognize like our life is a little chaotic right now and there's a lot on my plate. Yes. So maybe I can buy the pajamas and we can go find a costume that right. is within our budget and exactly. that my kids are excited about. And exactly. it's okay that I didn't hand make it and it's okay that right. you know it's not going to look the same in the background as the, the mom on Instagram so I think it's it's being able to recognize that you're doing that that is really step mm. one that you're um and it can be like that with a lot of things exercise right I'm right. going to go five days or it's not worth it like yes right all or nothing so that is the trap I've been in for most of my life mm-hmm. and I shut down a lot because of it yeah and I I always hear that it comes from it could come from a lot of trauma mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it could be protective right like yes it's, it's a self-protection it, yes yeah yes because I think and I think just 
just that rigid thinking can feel yes. protective for people mm-hmm. and that's um and because it can makes you it's a false sense of control yes is what I seem to notice within mm-hmm. myself 100 percent. yeah 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 so it's um it allows you to feel like you said that like some some sense of control in a world that often feels not in control right and again that's that's where the mindfulness and dialectical thinking can step in just like right. and i'm telling you it can feel so good when you're like able to just without judgment be like oh yeah this is what i'm thinking right now like there's yeah. all this going on at once yeah how can i find something that is realistic for me right, right. like knowing that all this is happening at one time right so the second one was self-compassion, right? Compassion. Yes. Um, we also started talking about mom guilt when I got here. Um, yes, we and did. I would say like, again, kind of going back to my, my belief that I think most parents enter parenthood wanting to be the best parent they possibly oh, yeah. can. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times that means maybe they've read the books, they've done the courses, they have right. this idea in their head, especially I think the first time you become a mom, mm-hmm. you have this idea of what you want it to look like. Yeah. Right. Um, and so then, for most of us, it doesn't work that way. Like the way exactly. that we had in our head. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so then that can be really difficult to sit with, right? That right. can lead to, oh, I wanted to do all of this today and yet I feel really overwhelmed and I'm not going to be able to do that. I right. have failed, right? right? And that's where your inner critic starts telling you you're not good enough. You're yeah. not doing all these things, right? Or um, you're having trouble just saying, we're going to have an easy day today as a family versus going out and doing all these things, right? Oh like, God. and then you feel that's the guilt what, about it, right? So. Yeah. Totally. Um, self-compassion is kind of this idea of um, of turning kindness inward toward yourself. Mm. Um, most of us are really good at showing compassion for others, much better than we are for ourselves. So yes. if you think of um, one of the my favorite interventions and activities that I do with the clients is called How Would You Talk to a Friend? Mm. Um, and so thinking about how you support the friends in your life, right. right? Or how you talk to them. Like when they're having a hard day. Um, you're probably offering words of comfort. You're reminding them yeah. of their strengths. You're offering support, right? But when you're having a hard day, mm. it's likely that your self-talk does not sound like that. No. Right? It's, you're an awful person. You're an awful mom. You failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm, You'll never mm-hmm. be good enough. Mm-hmm. You're not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There's some like evolutionary basis to that, right? This idea of keeping us going and keeping right. us like, pushing ourselves. And yet it can be really damaging if you get stuck in that. Yes. Um, because you, you, it can be hard to feel proud of yourself, to mm. feel like you're doing a good job, right? And that can really funnel and kind of foster anxiety and depression. So, right. um, so self-compassion is learning to talk to yourself like you talk to your friends, essentially. Right. It is, it is able that. to be like, again, kind of going back to that, like, think about having a moment where maybe your kiddo's tantruming and Mm. you're noticing how overwhelmed you feel and you feel like I want to fix this I want to be able to control it and I can't right Right. and then being able to say just like acknowledge like oh I'm having a hard time right now like this is hard right like I'm struggling I am trying my best to get through this moment and it's feeling really difficult Mm. like being able to talk to yourself like that versus saying that that inner voice you're failing you should be Mm. doing better right it it may sound oversimplified, but to practice that on a regular basis, and it does take practice. Yes. Um, again, it just allows you to get through those painful moments in a different way without right. them feeling like, like they kind of take over in the right. same same way. I love that. Yeah. Um, what is some of your – do you have different advice from maybe a first-time mom compared to maybe a mom that has three or four children? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think – it's hard. It, it's funny because I think people come to therapy and like want like think we give lots of advice, and usually we're like, I don't actually want to be the one to give you advice because I want right. you to find your own solution, right? Right. I think it's gonna vary so much depending on the individual, the individual, right. and I think you can probably agree. I think becoming a mom for the first time is a very different adjustment than oh, totally like, when you add like grow your family and yeah. have other oh, yeah. children, right? Oh yeah. Um, I think that shock to your system never goes away. 
Yeah. And I also think there's this false um, notion that goes around that we're supposed to just like bounce back from this. Like you have a baby and then a few months later your body's back to normal and your mind is clear mm-hmm. and you're good and, and you're, I mean, I've been hearing more and more, the more studying and research I do that it takes about two years mm-hmm. to fully adjust to a baby. Oh yeah. They, I think by definition, postpartum is technically right. Zero to 12 months after you That's have the your technical. Baby. Mm-hmm. Yes. But most of us in the postpartum worlds, um, define it a lot to be a lot bigger than that. Right. right. So I mean, right. I, I kind of define it as. How long do you feel like you're still adjusting to this baby, right? Yeah, like that's, yeah. That's kind of how because it, it just there's so many layers to it, and it, it is it, our culture is wild because if you look at other cultures across the world, I mean, so many oh, of them have like where mom is mom is in bed for thirty days, yes. everyone's caring for her, and right. we're gonna and and we don't we don't get that. Why right? do you think we don't do that here? Um, well, I think our our culture values individualism, right? Mm. Like I think it is something that is considered to be success when you can do it on your own and um and I think the kind of village mentality I mean families also a lot of times live farther apart than they used to Mm -hmm. right so you may some people have their families closer who they may turn to for support and some people don't like their families are farther away yeah but I think like asking for help feels really hard for people it sounds like it's something we preach all the time right like ask for help ask for help but sometimes even if your family's down the street if you feel like this pressure you're supposed to do it by yourself because that's what's valued right Mm. that's what's celebrated um that's how you're going to bounce back and kind of fit into that older expectation then it's going to feel harder to ask for help and you're going to question whether that's like you know quote unquote okay I feel like we're very prideful in it. Mm-hmm. You want to tote around talking about, I'm self-made, I'm self-this, I, I do this by myself. I, and then we go on social media and we put it everywhere for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. And it's like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. But you're miserable inside typically when you do this. Because yep. you're talking about how important it is to have a community mm-hmm. and rely on other people and ask for help and, and do those things. Mm-hmm. And I got very caught up in that with postpartum depression where I thought that people would just like, help like I just thought that people my family yeah. would see me struggling yeah. and then they would come and help but I guess I, I gave off the impression that I got it you know mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. the vibe I give mm-hmm. off but that's not how I'm feeling inside totally you know deep down inside I'm like I, I no 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 come help yes. I'm, I'm like I'm drowning over mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this I'm oh my gosh but then feeling like the expectation is but no you have to figure it out because mm-hmm. I remember telling myself when I had Addie Cassie everybody has kids like Almost everybody on the planet is having children. Why can't you do this well? Why are you struggling? Yeah. And my first panic attack was out of nowhere. She was a month old. I was walking her in her stroller and boom, just mm-hmm. had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Just washed over me. I had to call like the um, the nurses at Kaiser. We had Kaiser at the time and I had to have her talk me off the ledge because mm-hmm. I was like going to call 911. I had no idea what was going on. Your panic attacks are terrifying. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely. Was that your first one you've ever had? So I think I might have had one as a kid, but not maybe recognize. Because yeah. after I had it, I sat there and thought, like, have I ever had one? I think mm-hmm. I might have had one as a teenager. Mm-hmm. But this was my first one where it was like, oh, no, I think I, I, think you feel I like you're a dying. heart attack. Mm-hmm. Yes. And mm-hmm. then it just, I mean, and then it just got bad. Like, it almost destroyed my family. It was so bad. Because usually once you've had one, you, it's you live in fear of the next one. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. then you, like, manifest it almost. Yes. That, so, well, yeah, because that's anxiety, right? That's right. why. That's why, like, when I was saying the goal when we treat panic is to help you ride the wave of panic and right. real, and rem, and like realize that you can survive it. And that's yes. kind of using those skills to bring you. We use a lot of temperature interventions, like really grabbing an ice cube is something mm. you can do when you have a panic attack, or splashing your face with um, ice water. It triggers a reflex in your body to help you that like oh, calms like your that. nervous system. 
Um, but yeah, and that's, but it, because when you're in it and you don't have that awareness, mm-hmm. right, or those skills, then it, you literally feel like you're going to die. And of yeah. course you don't want to feel that again because then, no, you know, you yeah. kind of do anything to like avoid feeling that way again. But then the avoidance of actually dealing with it is what drives you further down the hole. Uh-huh. So I had resistance. I was like, nope, everything that was offered, like, well, maybe you should try medication. No, too mm-hmm. prideful. I'm mm-hmm. too prideful to do that. No, 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 no. Yeah. So I'll just keep burying myself all the time. I mean, I was in my backyard breathing into brown paper bags, like yeah. those kind of panic attacks yeah. and not understanding what was going on. Then it brought on a bunch of symptoms, physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then I was convinced that like, oh, I have an illness. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have some anxiety is so physical. It was, yeah. It's so physical. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't think that it, it would be anxiety. Yeah. Well, it's because you're, when you're in fight or flight, right? Like think about, you know, old school example, think about like caveman and bear. Um, Our fight or flight system is meant to protect us. So it's, it's, you know, you see the bear, your body gets activated so that you can run, fight or flight, which now there's also freeze and fawn. We have a couple different, lots of different responses, right? (laughs) Um, But what can happen, especially if you have a background in trauma or if you're in like, a kind of state of, of chronic stress, right? Your system, your alarm system's activated more easily. And right. so um, that's that feeling. That's yeah. that. It's it's your body, which anxiety can be helpful, right? In some it situations, can. but yeah. when it's overactive, right. then it becomes, it feels paralyzing and it feels yes. hard to to do anything. The bear lived inside my head yeah, at all times. Mm-hmm. And it, it's still something that's very hard. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like the speed of life, it really makes me anxious. Everything's very fast. Technology advances so quickly. Yeah. Things are changing so so rapidly mm-hmm. we're living in a time in history where it's it's changing quicker than ever yep so for me I'm like I need to go back to like the olden days and live during those times I yes. can't keep up <laughs> with what everybody's doing no yeah and, and that's know. everyone's struggle right yes. now yes. nobody is immune to that none of us are gonna get away we're all gonna have that challenge yeah I really want to highlight something that you said because I think it was so powerful like when you talked about that idea of asking for help like how mm. so much of you wanted to oh, so I like bad. felt like it like that would probably have felt like amazing right it to would've. have extra help and yet you also felt like I'm not supposed to I'm not supposed right. to burden I'm not supposed to yeah. right like put this on someone else it's supposed to be yeah. me and I will tell you like it is wild how many moms experience that but how we don't talk about it like that moment right and and being able to get through that so yeah. that's something that I work with a lot of clients on too like let's talk about what's getting in the way of asking for help right, right? is it is it your I know now the, yes like I know now like my mother-in-law had five children and raised kids by herself and I was like I can't ask that badass bitch to come over mm-hmm. here and watch my kids. Mm-hmm. Look at that badass. She worked full time and raised five kids. Why? Mm-hmm. I can't ask. What? what like was she you were supposed to like, be able to do it by yourself. Because right. You, cause, and, and here's the thing, right? Like we say that about other people. Right. Like when you look at on Instagram and you mentioned seeing a mom, like, oh, I wonder yeah. if I'm doing as good a job. Like that yeah. mom's probably struggling. Right. right? The, like Instagram's right. a highlight reel. But, but, right. we, but anxiety tells us stories. Yes. And so it tells us all these stories about why we shouldn't ask, why we should avoid, right? Because yeah, avoidance yeah. gives us like this temporary relief, but it doesn't solve the problem and it makes it right. I bigger. love that you highlight that. Yeah. Avoidance gives temporary relief. Mm-hmm. But if you live in that for so long, it explodes. Yep. Yeah. 100%. I remember one time I finally broke, I don't know why, my dad, I'm, I'm very close to my dad and always have been. So one time, Addie was in the car and she hated the car seat. She went through a period of time where she hated the car. Uh, And so I had my, my stepson in the car and my daughter and I had her and I'm driving down Harney lane and Lodi and I'm like, I'm shaking. I'm like, Mm. Oh my, she's crying so much. And for whatever reason, picking up my stepson from school was a trigger for her. She cried the whole time. Mm -hmm. We would sit there. We had to go there and park early. Right. Cause drop off and pickups take forever. So we would go like 30 minutes early and wait for him. And she would scream and scream and scream and scream. And so I just, and I finally called my dad and I said, dad, I'm literally going to drive the car into the wall. 
please come. Mm-hmm. Of all people, I'm asking my dad to come yeah. watch my baby. Like, I don't even know, you know. So, yeah, and I had those moments, struggling. you know, yeah. where I, I called Bobby one time and I was laying in the shower on the floor, curled up in a ball. And the baby was like just on a blanket on, on the floor next to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I was dead inside, just numb. Yeah. Like not even, I had cried before he got there. By the time he got there, I was just, I was like a dead You're person, like just a dead fish. Yeah, I was just, just fried. Mm-hmm still not asking for help mm-hmm. still not actually asking for help that voice is so loud that it, voice can be so loud and i don't that understand that, that i don't understand why you know i i feel like it's very prideful though for some people we want like you said you pointed that out you want to accomplish it on your own mm-hmm. and it is a cultural thing this yes. is not happening everywhere in the world well and that's why right like learning to really i mean i do so much inner critic work with my clients of learning mm. to get to know your i encourage my clients to name their inner critic because i think it's helpful i love that <laughs> i love that <laughs> right to give it a name and because <laughs> your inner critic has existed much longer than your self-compassionate voice like your mm. inner critic is built up over from your life experiences yeah. from everything that you take in that helps you define your expectation for yourself right. and so it's really loud and it, it takes a lot of kind of swimming upstream and, and kind of fighting against that to develop that other voice right, right. Um, and we don't want to it's interesting because um, like I have so many clients who I'm like okay let's talk about how you uh, cope with your intrusive thoughts or like these this negative self-talk and a lot of clients are like well I try to like it's not okay I try to think like don't do that but when you fight <laughs> against your thoughts like that they get bigger it's yes. like if I tell you right now not to think about a unicorn don't think about a unicorn at all (laughs) right yeah so it's that's where like again the mindfulness shifts in and being Mm. able to just like notice that 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 it's there that's step one with your inner critic it's like okay my inner critic's here and your inner critic is trying to protect you it's trying to help you see all the things that could happen Mm. and try to like prevent you from having to face all of that so being able to just shift to noticing that that's happening wow and kind of recentering to the now recentering to that other self-compassionate voice right and allowing more space for that that's half the battle. Mm, I love that. Do you find that when you get a patient, a new patient, um, that they have a lot of unresolved trauma from their childhoods? Uh, yes, uh, a lot of them do. Yeah, right. it's pretty common for a lot of us. And you know what I think happens is when you become a parent, all of your family of origin stuff gets triggered, Stop right? It. Like because suddenly you Chills. are now in this role where you're a mom, and so you are. Th- you're making meaning of that. You're thinking about who do I want to be as a mom. So especially mm. if maybe you've had trouble in your own maternal relationships or in your family, right? And you have those attachment disruptions. Right. All of that comes to the forefront as you're yes. trying to navigate, like, who am I as <laughs> yeah. a mom? Yeah. Um, so that definitely comes up a lot, especially if those parents or, or, you know, support figures are still in people's lives and they're having to do things like boundary set with them, right? Like mm. a lot of our parents parented differently than a lot of us are trying to parent. Of course. Right? So yeah. we're having to, and yet we're we're asking for help from that generation and relying on them to come in. So having to have some of those conversations can feel even difficult, right? Of Very. Like, it's, it's both triggering your own stuff, right? Yes. As yes. you're talking to them, as yes. you're also trying to set a boundary about how you'd like them to help your family, right? right. With the way that you want to do things. So exactly. It gets really complicated. And that's a lot of what we work on is like, how do we help you unpack this? And identify how much of this do you want to cope with independently and how much of this is like a need you want to express, a conversation that you want to have, a boundary that you want to set. Because it can feel really difficult to figure that out. Do you find that a lot of women that become mothers have a hard time setting boundaries with their own their own parents? Yes, their own parents, right. their own spouses, right? Mm. I mean, I think that's something that's really big too. Assertive communication comes up a lot. Like how do we be, um, I think again, thinking about that like frozen feeling when you're yeah. in postpartum, like how do I find a way 
to say what I need um, while also being sensitive to the needs of others because it can mm. feel like I hear a lot of clients say, well, I don't want to sound unkind. I don't want to sound like oh, I'm yeah. being too direct. Right. Exactly. And it's like, and if we don't, if we don't use that direct voice, then we're not gonna be able to get our needs met in the way, right. That we, right. that we need to. So um, that comes up a lot. It can feel that asking for help in an assertive way with both their own family and then kind of as they're, they're navigating adjustment with their own family, their immediate right. family. Do you find that a lot of couples have different parenting styles? Oh, yeah. 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 There's yeah. usually, yes. <laughs> and that comes up, I think, a lot when um, tantrums start to happen. Um, when, right, you have to kind of, yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's so many stages before that that you're also of navigating, right? right? Like feeding plans, sleeping plans, like how you approach all right. these different things, your role within the family. That's also big, right? Like mm. what your idea of um, your role in conjunction with your partner and what your duties are, that load sharing, right, um, right, within the family. So that's something that clients are kind of always trying to negotiate with each other. Um, but yeah, I think it gets it gets tricky when the tantrums start to happen. Yeah, that's when we start to see because a lot of us, right, our template for parenting is our own parents, and so 100%. unless we have intentionally kind of dug in and said, yeah. yeah you know, identified that something was damaging or, or difficult for us that right. we want to change and do differently, then we are likely to repeat that. And right. so because, you know, partners come from their own family systems that likely right. were different because that's just how the world works. Yep. Um, having to face that together can be tricky, especially depending on who, which, if either of them are ready for that, ready to really yeah. face like, you know, what we're coming that's from. That's actually a good, a good point. Cause it is hard to face your own past and your own childhood and, mm-hmm. and what was wrong with your child. A lot of us don't want to face the problems with our parents and during our childhood. Yeah. Like my husband was raised by a single mom. He didn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. So, and that shows up. Like he just texted me this morning that he listened to a podcast about fatherless people, you know, that don't, that don't have a dad and how that affects mm-hmm. them. And I think even being labeled that is hard for a man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a, I'm a fatherless person. What does that yeah. mean? Right. But my husband's done the deep dive. And so he's in that process of healing all of his wounds. Yeah. For me, um, I come from parents who were extremely chaotic and I saw my mom leave and come back like a gazillion times. Mm -hmm. So that was my upbringing, very shaky, very rocky. So with my kids, we both actually tend to be, um, very, we're laid back, but we, we're very, we have expectation Mm -hmm. of them because we didn't have that growing up. There wasn't much expectation on us mm-hmm. that applied to our education or our future or goal setting or anything like that. So with our girls, it's like, well, no, you're going to try sports and you're going to try my, my daughter sings and you're going to do well in school. And if you don't do well in school, there's consequences and mm-hmm. we're a family. So we're going to clean up the house together and you don't get paid to clean up the house. Like we're a family and you're going to help with the baby. And like, yeah. there's and these, these are all things that you have had to navigate together, together. and communicate about. Right? And we've been really blessed out. that we actually agree on most of our parenting mm-hmm. stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's very uncommon that we come into something that's we don't agree on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we notice how we show up really in our marriage more than as parents from our past. Yeah. How, cause it's funny that my mom physically would get up and leave the situation with my dad. Like she would go and stay at her mom's and she would leave. I would stay in my marriage and stay home, but mentally check out. Mm-hmm. I'm a runner mentally. So I mentally am not giving my husband maybe the attention and the support and the love and, and the nurturing that he needs because I grew up seeing that. But see, I'm doing better because I'm not physically getting up and leaving. Because you rec- you can recognize that pattern. And yes. I think being able to, and I think that feels so overwhelming for people sometimes. Of to course. To do that looking in, right? Yes. And be like, oh, because then 
sometimes if if we take that in in a way where it, it leads to that criticism, that guilt, that kind of meaning making about who I am just be, you know because of these experiences, right? Versus I can recognize that this is what I've been through, and this yes. is how I'm tempted to translate that into my into my present. And how can I shift and do something that feels more in right. line with my values? Right. Right. Yeah, it was very enlightening for me to. To figure that out. Mm-hmm. It took me until very recently to figure out what I was doing in my marriage that really was similar to what I saw growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, and my parents did the best they could. That's the thing about our parents that we have, as we grow, I think we go through a phase of like, I hate you, you ruined my life, and then you have your own kids, and then you still kind of have to battle with like, well, I love my child, why did you make those like those choices mm-hmm. if you love me the same way I love my child, right? You go through that kind of phase of like, but if you really love me, you wouldn't do this, this, this. Well, then you get a couple years under your belt being a parent and you have empathy and forgiveness for your parents because you realize that they did the best they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truly. I think that I think that's one of the first things you said was, I, I think all parents show up wanting to be the best parent they can. Yeah. But do they really have the resources, the and tools, like the not, to the things do they have they access yeah. to the things that they need? No. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to judge. I've, I've had to step back and you know, you can't judge other people's family. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. No idea. No idea what they've been through, what they're actually going through. Like you said on social media, they're showing up a certain way, but it truly is a highlight reel. Yeah. I do it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't everybody do yeah. it? We, yeah. We're not on there saying, hey, me and my husband just got in a big ass fight. Yeah. No. I want to punch him in the throat, mm-hmm. but I can't because I'll go to jail. Like my baby's screaming bloody murder was up all night long. I'm miserable. Send help. Well, SOS. That's, that's the irony of social media. And I think... In some ways, it helps people feel connected, right? And yet, right. I think it actually makes people feel really isolated. Yeah, and alone. Because they're, like, constantly like, oh, am I supposed to be like this all the time? Yeah. No one else must be experiencing what I'm experiencing because... And I think, you know, it's it's really cool being in the postpartum space because I think there are so many people starting to have really different kinds of conversations about oh, postpartum yeah. Oh, yeah. and um, kind of the shadow side of it, right, that yeah. we don't always talk about. But we still have a long way to go. Like it's We it's, do. We're, you know what's funny is if you share negative stuff on social media, you're a victim. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can't win. Yeah. How do yeah. I show up real without being a victim? It, it's a very strange – it's a strange space. It is. I, I don't know. I don't really like to um, – I like to post and then get off. I don't really care for like looking at everybody's stuff Doom anymore. Scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel icky. So yeah. I have it's like usually limits. like an escapism. It is. It's like numbing. It's like, it's like watching TV. We're all guilty of it. We're right. All flopping guilty. on the couch after bedtime and right. like <laughs> going through Instagram. But yeah. it is usually when you kind of look back on it, you're like, did that serve me? Is was that? Yeah. No. For me? I typically mm-hmm. don't feel better. I typically find myself judging other people mm-hmm. and then feeling less than yeah. after. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I have better effect. Uh-huh. Right. I'm like, I'll just watch a crappy show on TV instead. Yeah. Like, that'll be more fun for me. You know, that's my numbing owls Netflix. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about family systems a little bit. Yeah. 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 What get... do you want to know? What do you want to know um, kind of what a family system is? Yeah. Explain we... to people what a family system is. And then can you touch on how we kind of all play a role in our family? Yeah, I mean, I think postpartum is a great example of that, right? Yeah. So I think a family system is kind of um, like if you think about your immediate household, um, that's kind of your your immediate family system, and then most of us are a part of a, a larger family system, right, mm-hmm. to some capacity. Um, and a family system basically means everybody's a player, 
in kind of the the way that the family moves along together. Um, and most families have a homeostasis, right? A sort of a norm that everybody right. has usually a role in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why we talk about it as a system is kind of, it helps us make sense of when changes happen. Mm. And um, like, for example, think about postpartum, right? You have a family system with your partner and maybe your one child that you already have. And when right. you bring a new baby home, you've now changed the system. So mm. everybody's role sort of changes, right? Like I know with my, my older one, we went through six weeks of a roller coaster when my second was born, just all the, the adjusting, right. That she was doing oh, yeah. as our family system changed. And so um, it, I think it, it's, when we think about adjusting, right, it requires so much awareness of mm. how are all of these parts moving and what does everybody need? And it can be right. really hard to make sure everybody's getting what they need, right. you know, within the family system. Right. Yeah, I've noticed my um, my older daughter has definitely um, probably struggled the most with the baby coming. Mm-hmm. Just because it feels like, I think she already felt like she didn't get more of the attention because... Addie requires a lot. She's like the wild child, but she's kind of insecure. And so she requires a lot. And so I think Amelia watching her role kind of shift and change and her feeling the weight of responsibility almost Mm -hmm. where I try to take that from her. Like, yes, we're all part of the family and we do our things, but like you are, you're barely going to be 10 years old. So, but she's very smart and articulate and she, um, she takes on a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's it's been hard kind of watching her struggle. She's cried a couple of times about it, but yeah. it's just reality. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just kind of what happens in your family. And it's nothing to freak out about and panic about. It's just mm-hmm. it really, truly is just an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And helping validate their their feelings. Yes. When that happens. I remember like there were so many at the time that I had my second my husband had just changed to a new fire department, and so he got no time off um, with no. our second baby. We had her a oh. couple days before Christmas, and he luckily got a long weekend. And after that, talk about asking for help. I was te- I had a group text with all my, my village, and I was like, <laughs> who can help me Tuesday and Wednesday this week? Because that's when he's gone. I love it. But, um, oh. but yeah, it was, it was difficult. And I remember so many moments where I had to just be like, Whew, okay, we're having, this is hard, right? I'm having to both, like, yeah. juggle the toddler and all her feelings and also take care of this tiny baby. Um, and that felt like the most powerful thing I could do at the time was just like, yeah. I'm just going to recognize that this is hard and yeah. have a little faith that we're going to get through this, right? Um, which can be hard to, I of think, course. have access to when you're oh, in those yeah. moments. But, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of helping everybody ride the wave, I think, of that, right. that adjustment. Right. How do you think... Um... How can moms, you know, pregnant moms nurture relationships with others to where they they trust those people to kind of maybe come into their home and hold their baby to take a shower? Or Mm -hmm. how do you kind of, how do you nurture that? How do you do that? What about women who don't feel like they have that? Yeah, it can be really hard. I mean, I think, um... I am such a big proponent of getting connected to support during your pregnancy, right? Whether right. that's hope, I mean, you know, obviously I'm supportive of getting a therapist during pregnancy of because course. I think me too. it's so interesting. I have clients either come to me during pregnancy yeah. or three to four months postpartum after they've been struggling because <laughs> think about it. You just had a baby, like going and yeah. finding a therapist is not going to feel easy. Like when you're Absolutely also not. probably feeling frozen with anxiety or depression or yeah. just like the hard, you don't necessarily have yeah. to have anxiety or depression or know if you do to get that support right but exactly so having that during pregnancy can be huge because you can start yes. to kind of take care of your mental health and start to have that conversation um right I have my pregnant clients do a, uh, I have a few found a few templates for like postpartum planners um mm. and they can do them with their partners to kind of go through these different areas um to really start having those conversations beforehand um and I think you know it, nothing's going to be the same as being in it right and actually living that transition of course right but being able to start thinking really critically about like 
how am I typically when I'm stressed, right? Mm. What are the things that feel helpful for me? Do I need space? Do I need physical support? Do I need, right? Which, I mean, it's very different when you have a newborn and suddenly you now need food and kind of physical help in a different way than you you did before. Right. But I think, um, like identifying that during pregnancy and then thinking like, what are my options for getting other support, right? Like what, yeah. what friends, cause a lot of us have people in our lives that are like, Hey, I'm here. Like, let me know if you need anything. Yeah. But to be able to translate that to asking for what actually what you need, a right. lot of us take that and we're like, Oh, they probably don't really want to help. Or You're like, afraid of being rejected. Lo- exactly. I think too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think being able to, to kind of get in the mindset of, okay, these are the people that are that have offered to help. Mm-hmm. Here are the things that I that I think I may need help with, right? Knowing mm-hmm. that there's going to be some flexibility for right. really identifying that when you're there. Um, and then practicing asking for help, right? Yeah. Practicing yeah. having those conversations um, even with each other about like, how are we going to know what we need when we're overwhelmed, right? We may not know that now, but what do we know looking back and even in our current state about what feels good when we're having a hard time? So I think um, it's impossible to prepare for all of it, but I think being able to just really think about that, right? Like I also like to encourage moms to – if you've had friends that have had children, like have a C-section mom that you've identified, right? So if you end up with a C-section, you've got somebody to I call, love that. right? Um, a breastfeeding mom, a formula feeding mom, yes. like kind of like take stock of who's in your life that yeah. way. Um, if you end up in those different boats and you need somebody that can help kind of validate that experience. Right. Um, and I also think there's so many, I, I think you uh, commented on the post for our event that we have coming up with just our, yes. our, our like community. of Share about that. Yeah. So yeah. we're doing an event um, on October 25th. Fifth, if you're local at Gingerbugs, I don't know what's to be posted, that. but uh, but we're gonna bring together just our maternal wellness community because I, you know, I started my practice in January and really just have leaned into networking, and we have so many amazing resources. Yes, um, and we're all really kind of coming together in new ways. I think, especially in Lodi, and um, but something like a postpartum doula, like that is, if I look back and I, yeah. I'm like, I had a doula on here things. recently. Yes, yeah, and I'm like, I wish I had a postpartum doula, yeah. especially for my first, because they can, you know, that um, that transition home from the hospital, Ugh, like being able to have somebody there, yeah, to support you like physically right yeah support with breastfeeding because most doulas are trained in breastfeeding mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and to help model for the people in your life how to support you and right. postpartum right there's so right. many but so that's an example of like i think a less traditional um yeah totally like, support that yes. that like if you don't have that family support um finding out if you can access that and it can be right. pricey right but i also love um, the idea of a postpartum support fund. So like in, we do honeymoon funds, right? For weddings. Yeah. So putting yeah. on your registry postpartum support fund. And if Ooh, people I want to support that. you, right, then you can get meal delivery services, pelvic right. PT, a postpartum doula, therapy, right? I love like, that. Or a birth doula, if that feels good for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it can be tricky, to, but I think it's, it's having those conversations and really thinking almost just as much, right? As you do about all the baby equipment that you mm-hmm. might need. Think mm-hmm. about what do I need for me? Um, as much as I can anticipate that. I think as moms, we underestimate how much we're going to need when we have a baby. Oh yeah. Like I very much am someone who's like, ah, oh, we'll figure it out. Like I did not have enough baby like stuff that I needed when she was born. Cause I just truly kind of, it'll all work itself yeah. out. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm usually an over planner and over preparer, but I find myself now in a space where I'm just like, huh, it'll work out. Yeah. Like we'll yeah. just kind of figure it out. And we did. And it was fine. Yeah. And I was super blessed with a, a meal train. Amazing. That was, oh my God, that was mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I needed that. Um, and that helped a lot. And Bobby was able to take two weeks off of work, which was so helpful because yep. mm-hmm. we had never had that before. Like he never had any time off before. And that was great. And um, I think 
I think we very much underestimate what we need and we put all of our needs aside Mm -hmm. and then we start to fall apart and then we wonder why our family is like struggling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times babies, you know, it's funny because with Addie, I look back now and I'm like, she was a very fussy baby, but I could have done this, 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 and this. Like with Bella, Mm -hmm. I just reached out on Facebook and I said, hey, the baby's super fussy. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, I don't know what's, and all, all this advice. It was like 45 comments, right? Oh yeah. The chiropractor. One thing I would have never, ever thought about took her to the Mm -hmm. chiropractor and she's still a little crybaby and she's spoiled because everybody holds her. But it's like that changed something for her. Mm -hmm. Like he found a little knot in her neck. I had already asked the doctor, why does she like to put her head on one side, but not the other? And he was just like, we'll just force her, like just turn her head and force her to, you know? And so it's like silly stuff like that where- when you're sleep, me and Bobby talk about this. When you're sleep deprived and you just have a baby, you're not always thinking uh-huh. clearly. You sure aren't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. it's it's funny when you allow a therapist mm-hmm. to be to be part of that transition and part of that. They can point out to you, well, hey, um, maybe try this or oh, hey, just an outsider, just yes. speaking in yes. to, to be like, oh, well, this might work or that might work or mm-hmm. have you thought about what happened the other day where Bobby and I were like, duh, you know, we, we woke up the next morning and we were like, I forgot what it was, but it was something so simple that Bella needed. But you were tired. But we were just tired. <laughs> well, no, and uh, sleep <laughs> you know? deprivation cannot be underestimated. Okay, let's talk about sleep let's deprivation. Let's talk about it. I, something that, again, kind of, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but something yeah. that with my pregnant clients, make a plan to protect your sleep. Something that I know, my husband and I were guilty of it, not guilty, but we did it, where we're like, okay, we're all, we're in this together, right? So every time the baby woke up, we both woke up. My husband, we do oh, all the things funny. together, right? But then we're both the same amount of sleep deprived, right? Yes. And I think it comes from this great place of like, let's support each other and you're not alone in this. Yes. And getting consolidated sleep three to four hours if you can, which depending on your feeding journey might require a little bit right. of support, right? But like if you can get that, it will it can significantly protect your mental health. So yes. sometimes that means that one partner is sleeping in another room and they're getting the restful sleep while one is in the room with the baby. And if you're breastfeeding, that might mean, you know, your partner does the diaper change, the prep, and brings baby to you, right? You can you can have a doula yes. help you strategize around this, um, yes. right? Or a, a lactation consultant. Like, how can we, so that mom can still get restful sleep. Yeah. Um, and things like that can make such a crucial difference. And even in postpartum, right? It's, it's about identifying, like, okay, I haven't slept in days. Like, and sometimes I think, I hear this so often. <laughs> When moms are staying home longer than their partner because they're on maternity leave and they feel they they really struggle they really struggle to ask for help from their partner because they're waking up and going to work right and they're like well they're working and it's like okay but you are too and you are too right let's talk about what it's like to be with the baby all day long and how you guys are a team so how can you even thinking about the night right can can your partner take the first part of the night so that you can sleep. And then you can take the latter part so that they can we be were ready to that. go to work. Yes. yes. And yeah. it's, so I think it's just, um, but people can get really locked in. It's the I shoulds, right? I should take the whole night because my partner is working all day. So yes. I, I have to just. I will and, sacrifice. So then it's like they, it, it bubbles and bubbles and bubbles inside, right? Yeah. It becomes resentment. It becomes irritability because, again, right. you're still sleep deprived. So and you're taking out on your husband. Yes. And yeah. then you guys are at each other's throats when at the beginning you just yeah. wanted to be a team. You just wanted yeah. to let him yeah. sleep because he had to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. the ironic part, right? So I think it's. Um, sleep is so critical and I think it's, it's never too late to call in if you, if you have the resources, if you can get hired support, even for a few days to help bring you oh, some yeah. relief, yes. right? Like that can be so significant. Yeah. Last night, Bobby sent me to Amelia's room and said, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. Like let go of the control because I have a hard time 
mm-hmm. my fear is like, oh my gosh, something's going to happen to the baby because I'm not right there. But yeah. it's like, I'm so tired that it's not like I'm doing well, Yeah. you know? So I slept a solid four hours last night and then I woke up at two in the morning from my four hours and I was wide awake because my body's not used to like yeah. <laughs> getting that sleep. Four hours after you're sleep deprived is life-changing. It's life-changing. life-changing. It really is. And so I'm privileged enough to have someone, have a partner who recognizes when, mm-hmm. okay, you're you're acting really off right now. Like, yeah. go. He has to send me away. He will. But he's still not at the point where he'll do it. Yeah. So we're still, I'm tra- yeah. still trying to get him to do it, you know? <laughs> but yeah. But see, he sleeps. If I get up and like change a diaper and make a bottle, he can sleep through that. Whereas me, I can't sleep. I can't be in the same room and sleep yeah. through that. Yeah. I'll be up watching. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Yeah. Like, so in order for you to get that, you have to, I have to be in the other room and he yeah. knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard decision for a lot of moms, right? Dude, to be able to do that. that and I think that's so why, hard. especially when it's your first baby, like it, it feels like I think wrong to it people does. to do that, right? Yes. To separate. But, and so not every mom's going to be comfortable with that. Right? right. But I think if it's something that you're open to or finding a way to do that, even if maybe you're co-sleeping, maybe it's just then right. that your partner is taking the lead on the other things to help exactly. you still get that rest. But I think, I think it's another place that black and white thinking can show up, yes. right? And your expectation for yourself. It's either yeah. that I have to do all of the nights or none of them. It's can your, can your husband or your partner do one yeah. night and yeah. that, that way you can kind of recover. Maybe it's the weekends. Maybe they have more right. flexibility there. Um, so I think it's, it's one of those things that we just get locked into a expectation for ourselves or the, to the should of it. Mm-hmm. And then we don't challenge it because it feels difficult to do that. Right. And wouldn't you say that our parents didn't get help from the husbands the way our generation does, right? Yes. And so I, our and mothers I like don't to, understand yes, this. I like to challenge this language and I even challenge it for myself when someone yeah. else will say, I'm so lucky that my you know husband is so involved, but it's like, let's shift the language a little bit. This is a partnership, participation, That's right? right? That's like, right. Let's, yes, our roles may look different depending on who is maybe going and working out of the home. I'm actually reading a book and I saw the way they worded instead of um, working mom, it was a uh, work out of the home mom. Work out and the I home mom. And I that because I'm like, we're then saying that the the sort of other side of that is that when you're at home, you're still working, right? It's still... Because, right. you know, you, they, they have all those things I've seen on social media about how many hours they estimate that it is that if you're a stay-at-home mom or that you're staying home with a That's baby. That's ridiculous. Many, especially, yeah. yeah, if you're like breastfeeding, how many yeah. hours a week you're spending doing that. So um, It's the hardest job though ever. Yes. It yes. truly is the hardest. And being pregnant and then having a baby, I I, I just texted my best friend. And I was telling Bobby at the same time when I told her this, I said, you know, it's pretty insane that we are expected to get pregnant, uh, be sick through the pregnancy, struggle, mm-hmm. get really huge, barely able to walk at the end, go into a hospital or, or at home, wherever you're giving birth, go through the worst pain you'll ever feel in your entire life, mm-hmm. give birth to this baby, and then never rest again for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. that's truly what it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember they gave us the baby, you know, they gave us Bella, our last baby, and... And me and Bobby looked at each other and we're like, okay, we've done this before, but it still felt all new all over again. Yep. Like when you finally get, cause we had her like seven something a night. So it was like two in the morning where she was just getting really riled up and screaming and yeah, and it's like, oh God, oh, we both jumped up yes. and we're like, oh, okay, okay. We're, we're on. We go. Game go. time. <laughs> and it, it's, it's crazy because yeah. your body, I mean, I was so obviously, you know, mm-hmm. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Probably real sore, probably in some pain. Yeah. Probably had all sorts of stuff Bleeding, going on. Uh-huh. you know, and, uh-huh. and I just, I had a horrible pregnancy and I'm already sleep deprived, right? Because you're already not sleeping Especially when you're that big. Like you can't, yeah. Yeah. It's so much. it's just, it's absolutely astonishing. And then, you know, some of us get what, six to eight weeks off work. Yeah. Well, and then you're expected to hand your baby to a daycare provider and then uh-huh. off you go. Uh-huh. It, it's honestly 
crazy that we would still have our mental health intact by the time our baby is one year old. Yeah. Well, and I think like I, something else that I, if I ever encourage like kind of hiring support or making sure you have support, I think about the transition home from the hospital and how wild it is, right? Because when you're in the hospital, the nurses take such good care Dude, of you. Have the no, best I, mean, I don't want to say blanket, right, for everybody, but most, right. most people speak highly of their nurses. Oh, They're yeah. swaddling like pros. They are in checking on you. You've yeah. got a lactation consultant checking on your latch, like all the yeah. things, right? Dude, it's the best. And then you leave. Yeah. And especially like that classic, like taking home a baby with no manual. And But what also <laughs> happens is that um, – you know, days three to five is when that you're you're going through the peak of that hormone change. You right. have the largest hormone drop that you will ever experience in your life happens right after you have a baby. Right. And that is why people experience baby blues. And so yes. at the same time that you have now all of your support that you just had the last couple of days is gone. Right. You've transitioned home. You're trying to figure out what the heck to do with this baby. Your hormones are plummeting. Right. You're probably waiting for your milk to come in if you're breastfeeding. You're trying to figure all that out. Right. And and now, and you're sleep deprived on yeah. top of all of it. Yeah. And so I always say like, that is such an important window that it if is. you can get support. Yeah. Um, and just to, I think just, just be aware of even like what are baby blues and how does all of that work? Because yeah. I think that's something that people don't expect and it feels so overwhelming. Right. What, can you define the difference between baby blues and actual, like a postpartum depression or anxiety or yeah. what, what would that look like? Yeah, so baby blues, typically, like I said, kind of onset is usually three to five days postpartum, um, and it usually lasts a couple of weeks. And what that's going to feel like is it's going to be a little bit of kind of just not feeling like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, some tearfulness kind of might not feel like it makes a lot of sense to you. Right. Um, irritability, kind of just feeling feeling off, right? And sleep deprivation is obviously contributing to that too. Um, it's not necessarily going to interrupt your ability to do all the things, right? So you're still going to be... Um, able to maybe even go out on a walk or something like these are things right. that are going to happen postpartum depression um and baby blues usually resolves itself so it's yes. something that as your mm-hmm. body your hormones kind of and, and that can vary a little depending yeah how long on, does it last you think usually a couple of weeks like the core okay. of it um and then some more fluctuations can happen hormonally right depending on if you're breastfeeding and when you wean because right. um, that's another time that your hormones have a big change mm-hmm. um and then postpartum depression is going to feel a lot bigger um and it's not going to resolve itself right or more likely not going to mm-hmm. um it's going to require some pretty significant things right like maybe maybe a few months after postpartum you've gotten your sleep back on track or you've been able to get that support and kind of recognize all these different things factoring in but it's going to feel a lot heavier it's going to be um you know difficulty sleeping even when the baby sleeps or oversleeping um low motivation um crying spells depressed mood you may have some suicidal thoughts um so it's there's a, a difference in kind of intensity than right. compared to baby blues. So, and right. baby blues happens in about 80, 85% of moms. So it's pretty common. Right. Um, and depression is more like 10 to 15% of moms in postpartum. And we're talking a lot more about um, postpartum anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So postpartum anxiety is um, going to feel a lot like racing thoughts, irritability. That's a big one. If you're having trouble sleeping when the baby sleeps, I know mm. we all say that, but if you find yourself like your baby is sleeping and you know you, you're probably sleep deprived and yet you're having trouble, say, for example, because you are anxious that the baby's okay or you're worried uh, something's going to happen, yeah. right? Your yeah. racing thoughts are preventing you from sleeping. That's a signal that you may be struggling with postpartum anxiety Mm. um I and I shared with you like my own feeding journey I think factored in a lot I had um I had supply issues and I had my heart set on breastfeeding and so Mm. um for me I ended up exclusively pumped for 
eight months of my first, which I promised myself you. I would not do the second time because mentally it was hard. Yo, it was, it's it was that hard. like I have to pump every so many hours or else, right? My low supply yes. will be threatened and I was already combo feeding. Right. Um, but I think that's, you know, things like that where you your mind is racing and it feels right. really hard to feel calm um and often it's right themes around the baby caring for the baby um so that's kind of a, a snapshot of postpartum anxiety yeah do you think it's normal to a certain extent to have those intrusive thoughts about your baby though yes yeah, yeah. so and i'm yeah. glad you brought that up intrusive thoughts um one of the things that like if I always recommend to pregnant like friends or potential clients, like if you're looking for a therapist, finding a perinatal trained therapist is huge. And intrusive thoughts right. is the reason why. Um, it is extremely common for moms to have intrusive thoughts. Um, I would say almost every mom, right? And what we know is that they increase significantly during postpartum. So most of us have intrusive thoughts. That's just an yeah. intrusive thought is defined as a thought that pops into your head. It's unwanted. It feels kind of odd. Um, someone might, like an intrusive thought might be like, what if I ran my car off the freeway right now? That's different right. than like a suicidal thought that's like, yes. I want to die, right? Exactly. And I want to do that. But an intrusive thought is usually it's intrusive because it's like, oh, that didn't feel like me. We, we don't control our thoughts. Thoughts just, they pop into they our pop head, in. right? So mm-hmm. we, where the... Where the kind of intervention point is how we respond to them. Mm. Um, so during postpartum, and the thought is kind of evolutionary that we're kind of scanning the world for how to protect our baby, right? So we're right. thinking of like another example, um, you're walking down the stairs and you're holding your baby, right? Like you might imagine falling down the stairs with your baby or dropping your baby by accident. Right. That's an example of an intrusive thought. Right. Um, a lot of times they're actually, um, the themes are around accidental harm to your baby they can be sexual in nature like when Mm. I'm changing a diaper what if what if I did something inappropriate to my baby or Mm. what if I um drop the baby in the bath and they drown or something like this right and and what is is common the intrusive nature is you don't want them right and it can be really scary for moms if they don't know oh yeah that this is a common thing right? right um and the time that we ever get concerned about a mom having these thoughts would be if the thoughts start to make sense that's when we would enter postpartum psychosis territory. So that's like if you've heard about those stories on the news where moms have um, killed their children, mm-hmm. a lot of times in, you know, it's because they were struggling with postpartum psychosis yeah. and they had a break yeah. from reality yeah. where it was like, I have this thought about harming maybe one child. And it's like, the thought is if I don't do this, the rest of my family won't be safe. I have to do this to keep them safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And it starts, they start to make sense. It's they start to change their behavior because of it. A majority of moms do not have that. That happens in, oh gosh, what's the stat? It's like one out of 1,000 or something. It's like 1% of moms post-birth. So it's pretty rare, not impossible. And it's usually in moms with a history of bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, And so kind of getting off track. But um, No, I think that's important for people to hear. I think the importance of you sharing that is that I know it can make a lot of moms afraid. But there is a reality to that where... For example, mine was getting really bad, but I couldn't accept that maybe I needed to go on medication temporarily. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. you're not a, psych- a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of moms need to be told like, Hey, it is okay. If, if yeah. for temporarily you have to go on medication, that, yeah. that, that's, that's okay. Totally. And you I know? think what's, what's, what can feel so scary about an intrusive thought if you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. is that you can start to make meaning out of it for yourself. Like what does yes. it mean about me as a mom yes. that I am having this thought? Right. And so to be able, what we do, at least kind of my approach, um, take a very CBT based approach to intrusive thoughts is we learn to just recognize them for what they are. An intrusive thought that you did mm-hmm. not pick, you did not control. So being able to almost, again, that mindfulness, like notice that it happened and then let it drive on by, right? Like let exactly. it flow by. Because if we engage with the thought and we mm-hmm. start thinking, 
oh, I had this thought about maybe harming my baby while I changed the baby. Oh, does that mean I'm going to do something? Does that mean I'm a bad mom? Does this mean I'm never going to be good at this? Right? Mm. Like, do you see how the spiral can happen? Oh, yeah. And that can fuel that anxiety or depression or fuel that guilt. And and most moms, I mentioned kind of my suggestion around getting a perinatal trained therapist because depending on if a therapist even knows that this is common in postpartum, right? They might be like, oh, I should call CPS. This woman's having thoughts about harming her child, right? But what I know is if I'm, and I tell moms this, it's part of a, part of the education I do at the beginning because I want them to know they can disclose if these thoughts are feeling disturbing to them, Mm. um, right? Because we want to help them find a way to manage them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call CPS right away because you've told me you've had an intrusive thought. Exactly. Because I know it's an intrusive thought, You right? know, that's so- a really good point you're making because I know for me it was very scary to open up with anybody about how I was feeling or the thoughts I were having. Yeah. Because of that reason. Yes. Yes. CPS. You're afraid that, oh, now I'm going to lose my child because I'm having all these horrible thoughts. Yeah. And yeah. and the thing is, we know that almost all mom ha- moms have them. So imagine right. how many moms are suffering in isolation yes. that feel even scared to tell a therapist that they're feeling plagued by these intrusive thoughts, right? Because right. they can get really intense for people that right. don't know how to, like, have the, the tools or the skills to, to manage them when they arise. Right. Do you think that um, there's a problem with people being able to afford therapy? Is there a problem? Because I, I noticed that a lot of like the best therapists, some, some of them are cash only. Yes. You know? Yes. And so that's that's a challenge. What can moms do if they can't afford maybe a specialized therapist or what options do they have? Will Medi-Cal cover that? What, what, do you yeah. have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, and I will t- tell you, I'm a, a, a private pay therapist. Um, right. And there are a lot of reimbursement options that people can explore as a first oh. thing. So if you have any kind of health spending account... Or like a or health oh. saving flex spending. I yes. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of clients who put those cards right on file and they use that because it is almost always a covered cost. So nice. you can pay for out-of-pocket therapy with that. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, awesome. it's huge. I like to tell people that any chance I get because um, it helps with accessibility. Um, also, depending on your insurance plan, um, you can ask about if you have out-of-network uh, provider benefits. So this means... A lot of times it means you have to have met a deductible, but that once you've met that, you can, um, like, say you went and paid out of pocket. Most mm-hmm. therapists can give you what's called a super bill, um, and it documents, because um, they're provider information, sometimes your diagnosis, and just record that you've paid. And you can awesome. oftentimes get get reimbursed oh, for good. part of, okay. if not all, of um, your therapy fee. Then there's also, um, there are providers that do take insurance, and there are... Lots of different platforms that offer lower cost therapy. Um, I highly recommend starting with Postpartum Support International. Um, so most of us that have trained um, with them, that's who I got certified in perinatal mental health through. And they're kind of the international leader in postpartum um, mental health. They also certify um, different healthcare providers as well. Oh, I love that. Okay. It's amazing. They have a ton of free groups um, that you can go on their website. And they have groups for all sorts of different specific situations, single moms, LGBTQ parents. Um, uh, they have pregnancy loss groups, all sorts of different things that are all free. Oh, um, I love that. And all of, most of us that have been trained with them, we have profiles on their website. So you can search by nice. city um, and you can find, um, which I now virtual opens up a lot of options too. So you virtual can find, is really cool. Yeah. So you can yeah. find providers who have, um, that take insurance. And then um, most providers also offer sliding scales. Like I hold a certain number of spots in my practice for sliding scale spots. So it means either medium or low fee. Um, And I have like kind of a template that I just send a potential client with here is kind of what generally your lifestyle might look if this is like the the fee category that would make sense for you. Um, And then they can kind of let me know where they sit there and you have an ongoing conversation about it. Um, Because a lot of us do want to make sure we're providing space for that while also trying to figure out how to run a sustainable business. Right. 
you balance. Yeah, you got to get paid. <laughs> yes, yes. But, and I, you know, I have a lot of clients too. They ask me, because um, I do like a 15-minute consult with all my potential clients for free just to see like, do I think this is a good fit? Yeah. Based on my background, what you're looking for. Um, and they ask about frequency. So like, well, how often do I have to come for this to be effective? Mm, yeah. And that's very individualized. But what I recommend with new clients, I'm like, if we can do weekly for even three or four sessions so that we can kind of set that foundation and figure out yeah. what our goals are, um, see what you need. Then for some clients, it's appropriate to go to bi-weekly and sometimes I'll, I'll recommend like a group on the off weeks or I'm sending podcasts or, you know, kind of different things they can be working on in between. Um, and some clients, we do need to figure out a sustainable option for them to feasibly afford weekly for longer because if it's, exactly. you know, if I have a client who we're trying to help stabilize some like risk behaviors or things that are going on, I'm not yeah. going to, I want to make sure they get access to the care that they need. Right. Um, so I think there's definitely ways to find the provider. It just sometimes it's, it's a lot of work sometimes to find a therapist that it not is. only feels like a good fit but that you can also afford feasibly um and sometimes it means making sacrifices in other areas you know to to pay for that um depending on what your options are let's debunk this myth a okay. lot of people think they don't need a therapist because everything's great mm. does uh, everybody where, where do we begin <laughs> <laughs> does everybody should everybody have a therapist um okay should it's a hard question um can I... it benefit your life yes to have a the therapist. Answer, the short answer is yes. Right. I I go to therapy for myself, yeah. um, right, for whether I'm having going through a harder period in my life or right. just we also kind of consider it a professional responsibility in our world to go to therapy because guess yeah. what? We're sitting and listening to a lot, right? Right. And it may trigger our <laughs> own stuff. Yeah. And, um, but, I, yeah, I mean, I think on a personal growth level and being able to – your life doesn't just – you know pause at some point you don't face stressors anymore like yeah. life is hard right so to get right. to know yourself get to know your reactions to things how you cope through things um I mean there's a balance right like I have some clients who like to stay consistently they consider it kind of preventative and right. maintenance. Yes, maintenance I have some clients <laughs> who come when they're in the thick of it and yeah maybe we spread out and we eventually when they're doing well meeting their goals and they feel good we meet only once a month or they're like hey I'll call you back when it's time um and we do kind of say like we're working ourselves out of the job at any given point, right? Like ideally a client feels really confident in their ability to cope through the things that they face. Right. But I like to kind of think of it as an open door, right? So maybe you do come when you're feeling like you really need that extra support to get through something. Um, and then you get to a place where you're like, yeah, I got a good toolbox. Like I think I'm okay right now. Yeah. But yeah. the door is always open to exactly. kind of come back to therapy later. So I definitely don't think it hurts anybody. That's to, I know. to answer your question. I have a hard time when people think that they don't, like, they're absolutely anti-therapy. And a lot of people are still. Yeah. I kind of yeah. thought most people were like, yeah, therapy is good. No, they're, they're still not there. Yeah. You know, they're still not, they're yes. still not there. Yes. But I love the advice of finding a therapist when you are pregnant. Mm -hmm. Because the energy it takes to find a good one, mm -hmm. it is very difficult to find a match. Yep. It, that's just the truth. It is. It, it's it very is. hard to find somebody that you feel like you can really open up to and connect with and... And who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Sometimes you have to fire a few therapists first. Yes. And I mean, it's hard because, yes. like, you know, I always would encourage clients to, like, if you can give feedback about what you need. Like, I try to check in with my clients about how are things feeling for you? What do you want yeah. more of, less of, you know, yeah. style? Um, and it, it can feel really intimidating to do that, right? To give oh, that yeah. feedback to a therapist. And totally. it's also okay if you're just like, this isn't a good fit. And you can say that, right? Yeah, like, right. Therapists, you're not offended. Therapists know. <laughs> like, we know that it's part of the process. Yeah. Um, and and I, I'm going to go out and say, a good therapist is going to help you find another option. A good yes. therapist. Is, I have had a client recently where we kind of came to a point where we were like, I think based on your evolving needs, like, I don't specialize 
specialize in necessarily what would be the best fit for you. It's been a joy to work with you. And yeah. let's find somebody who's a better fit. Look and how I grown up that helped, is. I mean, I feel like it's the responsible <laughs> thing to do, right? To it help is. them feel like they I mean, that's at the end of the day, my hope for every client is that they get to land somewhere where they feel safe and like they yeah. can work through their stuff in a way that feels good for them. So yeah. So do you feel like as a therapist, you'll probably do therapy forever? Um, I mean, like, like, like you'll go to a therapist. Yeah, probably for, for most of, I don't know. It feels, it yeah. feels so good for me to do that. And I've gone in waves myself of different times that I felt like I've needed more support. And then other times that, um, you know, more recently I got trained in a modality that's new to me. And so I'm kind of going to a therapist that does that modality so that I can cool. get to know it better on the client end. So, cause I, my, yeah. I also believe in like experiencing it on the client side so yeah. that I, you know, can understand what it's like, right. To right. be in those shoes as right. I'm expecting my clients to kind of walk in that space. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a part of my life probably for a majority of it. I love that. Yeah. Is there a certain way you should feel after a productive therapy session? Oh, that can vary so widely. Mm-hmm. That can vary so widely. I mean, I think especially when you get in a relationship with a therapist long-term, sessions look so different, right, depending on where you're at. You may have some sessions that feel like real breakthrough sessions, like you've you've come to some insight or something that feels really good. You may have some where you feel completely drained and exhausted after. That's a very normal thing, right? And you may have some where you're celebrating the whole time, Mm. right? Like I have clients where maybe we've worked together for a while and we're at a point where they are ready to kind of transition um, out to being seen less often. And we're talking about what were your goals when you came here? Let's like reflect what's been working. Um, and sometimes we're just celebrating big wins together too, especially after you've been working really hard. So, um, I, I try to, I try to be really intentional if it's been a heavy session to kind of create a few minutes at the end to make sure we're helping the client ground and be ready to move on with their day, especially moms, right? Like they probably have to, I work virtually right now, um, in person also soon, but, uh, that they have to go and, and be with their kids right away. So yeah. like, let's figure out how we're going to help you do that. Right. Yeah. Or I might encourage them to do a quick five to 10 minute meditation when we end our session to kind of help them transition out. Um, right. Cause sometimes that is hard. That is hard. Yeah. yeah. What's our crying blubbering mess. Totally. And they totally. have to go back to yes. being a mom. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's, That's awesome. awesome. Create that space. Um, tell me where we can find you if people want to hit you up. Yeah. So, um, I am on Instagram with mama in mind. I love that. Page. They're all, thank you. So uh, cool. you know, it's funny. I was so hesitant to start it. What? Just, well, just because, you know, when I started my business, everything starting a business is kind of overwhelming. New oh, for me. You don't teach yeah, you about yeah. business in grad school. When you're right. A therapist. <laughs> um, so just doing something like that, but you know what? It's been so cool to network on Instagram. Like has it? so many wonderful other perinatal therapists, local kind of birth workers, different providers. It's yeah. been, and just like getting to share information that I feel passionate about. So it's yeah. been really cool to do that. So yes, it's, um, with underscore mama, underscore in underscore mind with mama in mind. Love it. Um, my website is counselingwithmichelle.com. So you can find out more about me there and my services. And then if anyone's interested, I have like a contact form, um, and they can send in their information. And like I said, I do a free 15 minute consult, um, with clients just to kind of hear more about what they're looking for. And then I give them more information about me, answer whatever questions they have. And then we kind of mutually decide, um, does this feel like it would be a good fit? But I always, if we're not a good fit, I'm going to do whatever I can to help, um, find them some other referral options so that they have a next step, you know, in like that process. Like therapist be, or something yes, like that. Yeah. That yes. You know. Like I'm in some, um, I'm looped in, in some maternal mental health groups. So sometimes like if I oh, need nice. a client who's like, Oh, I really need to use my insurance. I'll go on there and say like, 
you know, general blurb, um, looking for a provider in California, virtual, that takes this insurance, right? So then I can help find some options who are, of people who are accepting clients, like, right now. Right. Um, yeah, so that's, those are probably the easiest way, ways to reach me. I love that. And you're available virtually. Yes, I'm available virtually. Do people have any pushback on that? Because um, I do virtual, and I don't mind it at all. Yeah, and it's, it's great. It's funny. I also started doing virtual when I was going to be offering virtual because I was, like, yeah. again, on wanting to be on that client end, and I really wondered how I would feel about it. And yeah. I, really don't mind it um I see my own therapist virtually um and for a lot of moms it works because sometimes they have a baby napping in the other room or they have family come over for just an hour to like have their session sometimes we have babies in sessions right like it's ideal if a mom can yeah and it's ideal if you can have the time just be for you but then I also am like let's be real like sometimes things happen and I'd rather us you know be able to have the session if that feels good for you right um I am going to be, hopefully, it's kind of all still being worked out, but hopefully in the beginning of the new year, offering in-person as well. Awesome. Here in Lodi. So that's so cool. Offering some hybrid. Yeah. So that's feeling exciting because there are some clients that have been like, ultimately, I really want in-person. And I get it. Totally. And after COVID, like, you know, everybody has done so much virtual stuff. Oh, Some yeah. people are like, I need the human I can't connection. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And I'm excited to be able to offer that to moms because I also know the feeling of just wanting to get out of the house. Yeah. Right? And Turn like, on your music while you're driving yes. there. Yeah. Yes. I do a lot of um, car therapy. A lot of moms go in their cars. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, always, I always laugh when they go. I'm like, car therapy today, huh? Yeah. So we'll, oh, yeah. You know, we'll be in there too. And sometimes we've got you know, kids knocking on the door. So we make it work. But, um, so I would say, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of half and half, but a lot of people have been like, okay, that's what we can do. We'll make it work. Awesome. So what, so I know we've talked a lot about mothers and you, um, helping moms. Is there any other people that, you know, issues maybe clients? Yes. Other, other type of clients that you're accepting right now. Yes. I'm not opposed to taking clients who are not moms. I do have a few who are non-moms. Um, and, you know, I have clients who may be struggling with, like, pregnancy loss as well. That's okay. an area that I'm trained in, too. So, um, or, like, trauma. So, I do some of that work as well. I have found working in the motherhood space is feeling like a good fit because I'm leaning so heavily into trainings and books and resources around All that. about motherhood. So, yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah. like, helpful to be able to provide that kind of lens and support awesome. with moms. But I definitely encourage a prospective client um, to reach out and we can see if we'd be a good fit. And, like awesome. I said, if not... I'll kind of help try to find another option. And you know what? Cool. Just a little plug. Dads can struggle with postpartum mental health too. Oh my God, So yes. I know we could go into that and that's a whole other, but yeah. I mean, definitely open to working can with dads Can you maybe well. real quickly before we close, share what that can look like? How does that show up in a dad? Yeah. For, for the mo- if, if a mom is noticing changes in her husband. Yeah. Well, I think the symptoms are going to look pretty similar in terms of what, I mean, look similar, right? I say that, but we can't always tell what someone's going through internally, but it may be, um, I think a lot of dads struggle to know where they fit. Right. Mm. And especially if they do see their, their partner struggling and they want to really help support them and make them the priority, they can suffer in silence too. Right. It's such, it's also a huge adjustment for them. And I think a lot of dads are like, well, I can't really say anything because I didn't just birth this baby. Right. Well, something as simple as like, they can't even have sex with their wife for a certain amount of time and, and that's a huge connection huge. Yes. yes and how and navigating that within a couple right yeah like, and then like the moms attached to the baby yes. they're not really worried about touching you or, yeah. or making you feel good you know yeah. Or, yeah. or you're not hugging as much or cuddling as much or, you know and and some dads I think struggle to figure out even with bonding with the baby like what does oh, that look yes. like right because it yes. can feel so difficult when babies are so bonded to mom and yes. even that like I know my husband and I used to joke that like the minute he'd hand the baby to me she they, she was silent and quiet and calm. Right. And then he'd take it, right? When, especially those early yeah. newborn days. And so I think that can be really hard for, for dads to juggle. So I think it's important I to agree. name that, like, 
it's okay to say that they're struggling too. And, and I think that can be difficult to navigate on a communication level, but that it's, Definitely. it's okay to both be struggling, right? Like it, one person doesn't yeah. have to be doing so much better than the other right. person for it to all be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that men don't definitely don't give enough credit, get no. enough credit. Yeah. And like, yeah. they don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to ask for help or get help mm-hmm. or. Yeah. Postpartum Support International has a, a group for dads too. Oh, and there's I a, um, I can't remember his name. There's a dad that I follow on, on Instagram. Um, and I kept him in mind as a referral option for, for future That's dads. So he's, cool. he specializes in kind of, I think, postpartum like yeah. motherhood. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's I more. I think that shows up a lot there. and a man would probably never think that he had that. Yeah. A man would never be able to identify that. It would probably have to come from the wife. Yes. Where it's like, Hey, I see this, this, and this happening. Like, let's... which is also difficult, right? Because oh, mom of is already struggling. It's right, also on her difficult. Own. It is. Yeah. It's all hard. That's it's the all thing. hard. And and, and two normal. things can be true. We can get through it, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. it's just about. I think, like you said, I think sometimes it's like you described um, asking for help on Facebook, and I think sometimes yeah. it's looking for those little opportunities of to do the thing that feels scary, right? This one phone call, this one yeah. like to start that reaching out. It can be the littlest step. Um, or that it won't feel little probably right but right. it can be the se- most seemingly small thing that can help you start opening those doors to that kind of support yeah googling looking up providers in your area right right like just starting that process going yeah. on postpartum support international and learning more because then it kind of plants that seed of what options might be there for you yeah. yeah yeah I think that women just need to be told that it's okay to to need therapy and need help yeah yeah they just need to be told sometimes like even by you as a therapist yes. like I'm giving you permit I've had a therapist tell me yeah. I'm giving you permission to do this, this, and this. Yeah. And it was like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of needed to hear that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like I needed that validation 100%. to be able to make that step. It was interesting. I did, um, I don't know if you saw, we had a Mother's Day market in May. Um, yes. And I yeah. went to it, and it was like, it felt kind of, uh, like not super traditional for me as a private practice therapist to be there. And I was right. like next to candles and jewelry. And I was like, <laughs> okay, here I am. Um, but I, and it was funny because, you know, I'm not super shy in those arenas because of jobs I've had in the past. And so I, I created like a little mindful moment that I gave to moms, like a piece of chocolate and a little five senses meditation, a little oh, card with that. Oh, I and, love that. Um, and so I had signage and everything, but I think they thought I was like selling insurance. <laughs> I was like flagging <laughs> people down. I was like, can I give you a free gift? And it was, and my point in bringing this up is the minute they came over, they were very hesitant. And then the minute I said maternal mental health, supporting moms, you know, just some of those keywords, the way people, they were so receptive. Oh, um, they're and craving ready. it. Yes. And they were just oh like, and so, just like you said, just creating that intentional space where you're like, it is okay. Yeah to struggle and to name that you struggle yeah. and to go to therapy when you are a new mom. You yes. don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect, right? Um, and it was just such an interesting, like, way to see that play out. Was it? All of these people. I remember yeah. my husband, like, he was, I filled all these, I had little interest cards, and he's like, do you really think anyone's going to fill that out, like, at a at a market? I was like, I don't know. I would hope so. Yeah. And I had yeah. a bunch of people submit interest Isn't cards to, like, want follow-up. And I'm like, see, I think it's just, you just have to say it's okay to yeah. make it okay. You, you really know? do. You have yeah. to make it okay. Yeah. And then you have to also, as a person, just decide that, like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just what I have to do mm-hmm. for myself. And it's that little and you, moment of bravery. It right? is. And mm-hmm. you don't even have to announce to the world that you're no. doing therapy. Nobody has to know you're doing therapy. Mm-hmm. I just share my stuff because I, I I feel called to do that. Yes. This podcast is all about bringing people on to, to share what they have to offer with the world and what they're passionate about and to be real and, and genuine and yeah. authentic and 
that's what's important. But you don't have to show up that way to the entire world totally. and, and to everybody else. I know. It's funny. You know? We, we are very protective of confidentiality in the therapy world. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, we tell every new client there are these very few situations that we would break confidentiality. They're right. all safety related. Right. Um, other than that, we want clients to feel safe where they are. And yeah. it's funny, all my local clients, part of what I tell them when I when I have our first session, I'm like, just so you know, if I see you in public, I'm not going to acknowledge you. Yeah, right. Because I want, if you acknowledge me, I can say hi. I'm going to yeah. keep it brief. But because not everybody wants to be like... Oh, like if I therapist. say hi to you and then, you know, your partner's like, oh, who's that? And you're like, uh, right. It puts you in a weird spot. It does. So I'm like, it I'm going to, and, and part of me feels sad that we're still there, right? I would I know. love for it to be regular and I normal know. to like go to therapy and be proud of it. Yeah. And I can respect, it's a vulnerable process for people. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and people are all totally. at different places with their comfort level going to therapy. So yeah. we definitely are going to foster that space for you. And any good therapist is going to help that. you feel safe in that way. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I just want to end it with this. Uh, we know each other from high school. Yeah. And um, we were talking about what we remember about each other. And I was saying that you were shy and quiet. Yes, yes. And I was saying that you blossomed into this beautiful human being. Aww. And I just love your your energy is amazing. Oh my your gosh. passion. You're, you're genuine and real and authentic. And I, I think that... There's so many people who are going to benefit from you being their therapist. Oh, you're so kind. I appreciate those words. And I and what I said about you was I remembered the word real came to mind <laughs> and approachable because I was saying as my quiet, anxious self as a child or yeah. a teenager, I was yeah. remembering just like, I mean, we weren't super close, but that I right. could, I, you were totally just felt like a safe person. Like, yeah. I, like I never felt like you were going to judge someone. And so I love that you are doing this and oh, having listened you. to some of your episodes, like I think it's so powerful to be able to share your story in that way and just bring thank people you. together. And it probably feels really energizing for you. I imagine, it feels so good. Right. Every like time I do it. Yeah. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I love people's stories. Mm-hmm. I love hearing people's stories and how they become the person that they are. I think it's, it's so beautiful. Cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're going to be a great therapist one day. I can't wait. <laughs> That's what I'm in school for. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you for having me. Thank it's you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah.